Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Lopez. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed. This week, your hosts are Jason Loftus coming to us from Utah, Michael Morrow from Colorado, I'm Mark Raycroft from Ontario, Canada, and today's special guest is Greg Piper from Northern Virginia. Well, actually, Pittsburgh. Are you in Pittsburgh? No, I'm in Northern Virginia. Yeah, I was born okay. right in Pittsburgh. From but... Pittsburgh. <laughs> right on. A very talented photographer. If you look him up on Instagram, you will be truly impressed with the breadth of his portfolio and the variety of subject matter he covers. And we look forward to learning more and hearing more from Greg today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. So we start these out always with the, and I don't know if you've listened to these podcasts before, but we always want to know what the most favorite experience is that you've had in the woods or out in the, with you in the water, in the woods. What's that one thing that just, I mean, and it's really hard, right? Cause we've all done a lot of stuff and it's hard to encapsulate one thing, but what's that one thing that just sticks out in your mind when you, when someone says, what do you do? And you tell them a story. Well, I'll tell you, man, uh, I got a lot of great bear star- stories from up in Alaska, but hands down, um, uh, my favorite, most memorable, uh, moment was underwater. I was in Rajampat, uh, in Indonesia on a dive site, uh, close to Missoula. Um, and it's, it's famous for these manas, right? But we get in, and there's like no manners at all. So I always try to stay by myself because, you know, I don't really like being with groups of people underwater. They tend to chase things off. So the group went around side um, this dive site and this uh, probably the biggest giant Pacific man I've ever been in the water with. She had to be 16, 20 feet uh, in wingspan and she was pregnant. And so she came down and, you know, I kind of like everything else, man. I just kind of rest and let the animal dictate the encounter. And she came down to me and they really enjoy your bubbles when you excel and kind of tickles them, you know. But I'm thinking, man, I'm going to get a shot of a manna being born because that's never happened because they go really deep when they do it, right? I didn't get that shot. Uh, she was ovulating, which is clear in the photographs I took. But she kept coming down, and she's just rubbing rubbing against me, first through my bubbles. And I spent 60 minutes uh, with an, this animal, and it was incredible. Not another person in the water. Finally, the group came back around, and uh, she rolled off. But that's probably my most... Uh, epic and memorable uh experience and it's something you just have to be there for you know it, it's the magic of something like that she's looking at you uh the animal's comfortable with you and uh it, it was kind of surreal so I, I dug it a lot i can't imagine being in the water with something that has a 16 foot wingspan and then you're just like i mean but it's it's kind of i don't know it seems like you know we put this face on these animals that we think are so big and they're just gonna be fierce because they're big but in reality they're just pretty gentle you know, across the board, whether it's a whale or a shark or a manna, any of that, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like sharks are like like bears, man. People see my uh, uh, photographs, see some of my recent work on on my Instagram. They're like, oh, my God, you know, you're so close to these bears. And, and uh, how come they don't attack you? They're, they're, they're so vicious. And I, I always relate it to sharks because it's the same exact thing, right? They were not on their menu. If you're smart uh, and, and you know your subject, I spent a lot of time studying bears, sharks, things like that. Because when you're in the water in the wild with them, there's a hundred things they're going to tell you with their body language. Very rare are you ever going to have an occasion where, you know, a bear just comes at you. Uh, you see this popular mountain lion video that's all over the internet this week, right? And they show, show this mountain lion coming down the trail with these people. What they don't show is the guys in there trying to take uh, video 
of the Cubs. You know, he's between the mom and the Cubs, which is galactically stupid. Anytime you get yourself in a situation like that, obviously the mom's going to try to protect. Uh, and it's the same thing in the wild. You know, you look at these bears, they're going to do a lot of things. They're going to tell you a lot with their body language. And it's no different than a marine species. Uh, you know, you got to observe what the shark's doing, uh, where its pectoral fins are, the behavior it's exhibiting. And, you know, uh, it, it'll tell you when it wants you out of its way. It's, it's kind of a bummer that things get such a bad rap. There's another occasion, if I got a second, I'll tell you, I was in Kitchikan diving with Fred Drake, owns a company, uh, Snorkel Alaska, right? Uh, all these cruise shippers come up Snorkel. Great operation, but me and him were diving uh, one day, and I was photographing some wolf eels. And you ever kind of out in the wild, and you get that feeling, man, there's, there's something behind me, right? So I turn around, and there's an orca with her calf. And this is a, a, a transient orca, so I'm a little worried, you know? <laughs> it's like, uh, but she came over to me two or three times. She came in and checked me out, circled around me. And went off and then allowed the calf to come in and, and play with me for a few minutes. And again, one of those surreal situations where uh, I just feel like if you're, if you're calm and you're educated about uh, what you're shooting, uh, the animals, they just, I don't know if I'm lucky or, or just what, but they, they kind of always seem just to come in and hang out. So, Hey, can you explain just for our audience? I think Mark and I were on a trip and we learned about orcas and what you just said, but maybe for our audience, you said transient and that made you a little scared. So could tell us the difference between like a resident orca and a transient orca and why people or why you would look at them differently well i'll tell you I w we were just in i was just up in juneau uh and so we're sitting there and there's every summer in july i don't know maybe 50 to 100 uh orcas come together right different families um they come together to breed uh to mate and it's it's a pretty cool thing but all these sea lions all these um harbor seals all these things will be in the water with them right Sea lions, you'll see them cruising around, not afraid of the animal at all. Um, and that's a resident pod. And resident pods are exactly that. They live in those areas. You'll find them uh, in, in Victoria and in, in, in British Columbia, all over the world. And, and they generally stay there. Um, they live in those areas, right? And they feed. But what they do is they eat fish primarily. They don't eat mammals. And so uh, it's so crazy that, the, that these animals know that. So all of a sudden, two transients come around. We were just off uh, Shelter Island. And these two transients come in, and all of a sudden, you don't even know you're, all these seals and sea lions are in the water, right? And all of a sudden, they're all to the surface, and they're just booking for the shore. Uh, and, and the reason is, is, is exactly that. They're there to eat sea lions, seals, and the traditional things we think of orcas eating. Uh, so it's really the main difference. Transient is exactly what it says. They go from place to place, cruise around where a resident pod generally lives. And resident pods are generally bigger. And the difference is their dorsal fin, the shape of the, uh, the dorsal fin. So... But I think it's got to be something with their sonar. They must hunt differently. Uh, you know, I'm not a scientist, so I don't know the, the particulars of that. But it's got to be something that allows these other animals to know because they don't just look over and go, oh, man, look, it's curved dorsal fin. It's going to kill me. No, they know well before that it gets in visual range that the animals they're hunting. So, like I said, when I saw them, it was a little more nerve-wracking uh, because if it's it's a resident pod of orcas, you know, you just don't have nothing to worry about. So, uh, But in that case... Turns out nothing to worry about it uh, anyway. So it's good. That's fascinating. Just that whole dynamic and just knowing what goes on. And I, I just can't imagine. Yeah, the experience has got to be crazy. It is. It's good. And if you spend a lot of time out in the wild, man, you run into a lot of experiences like that. Um, it's, it's, um, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate. I tell people all the time that it's uh, not just the photographing. In fact, sometimes things happen that you almost forget uh, to take a photograph. You know, you're so mesmerized in that moment. And a lot of times, especially underwater, man, I'll leave the camera. Um, like with these bears and over the last month of being up in Katmai, 
sometimes I just go out and sit, you know, and, and really try to ground myself and enjoy the actual experience rather than feeling like, oh, I got to capture the shot. Because a lot of times we miss so much. I'm always looking through that viewfinder, always looking for that angle or shot. And sometimes it's cool just to put that down and sit and, and be reminded of, of why I love uh, what I do. Everybody should do that when you get yeah. into those spaces, right? Just let it get yeah. into your into your system and feel it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So if you had to describe the amount of time that you spend on land and the amount of time you spend in water, what's that percentage? I mean, is that is it 50-50? Is it, would you rather it be 75-25? What is it for you that you get to do? It's probably 50-50. It's, um, my, my career, I was always a, a hobbyist photographer and, and I got lucky, uh, got published. And most of that was underwater at the beginning. And um, I, I mean, I spent a lot of time in Alaska. I, I love it up there. I, I love places like that, the Arctic. And so I love both, right? So it's not really one's, uh, I love being underwater. You know, that moment, I tell people all the time, in the moment you roll back off a boat or you giant stride in and you're just surrounded with that rush of water, that, that cool and it's crystal clear. And my favorite thing is it's silent, right? Uh, I don't know if you've been on my website, but uh, welcome to the silence. That's exactly what that means. It's it's like Alaska as well. It's something that I really enjoy. When you're underwater, it's just me. You know, my girlfriend says to me, uh, hey, we ought to get these full face dive masks so we can talk to each other. And I tell her all the time, the day we get those is the day I stop diving with you. <laughs> Zen and focus to it, right? I mean, yeah, it's just, you know. I just I love being underwater, but uh, above water, especially places I know I keep going back to Alaska. That's just one of my favorite places to be. I mean, Alaska is, is, is so vast. Uh, it's so unexplored. It's just got all these amazing places. You know, um, it, it's just it's, it's like you said, it's almost surreal. You know, it's it's spending time up there out in the wild like that, uh, trying to get away from crowds and just just the space you have, you know, compared to where I live here on the East Coast. I love it. But but I love being underwater. You know, I'm heading down to Belize next um, on November 7th. I go down there. I had a, a workshop and do some diving. So this year has kind of been a damper. You know, uh, big travel plans were canceled. My my two months I was supposed to spend in Indonesia. I was actually in Palau, luckily, uh, last February, March, when the pandemic hit. And, uh, you know, we were kicked out of there. Uh, I think it was March 20th and and came home to to this, did it, swindled in a couple of little trips this summer down in St. Lucia, amazing trip down there underwater, totally tragic what's going on down there with the pandemic, man. Uh, they had this beautiful marine park they established in 2011, uh, I, I lied, 2014. When I first dove there in 2011, it was mediocre diving at best. And when I went back in 2017 and 19 to write stories on it, it was amazing, man. This marine park had really just been unbelievable. But when the pandemic hit, you know, small, small nations like that, they don't have financial resources. And so they allowed people to fish and they allowed them to fish in these marine parks. And what the population did was just take nets, you know, and they attach like a two by 12 board to it. And they angle that board and they simply drag it across the reef. And when you, when you destroy the reef, you know, you're looking at 10 to 12 years uh, before that will ever recover. And, and the one thing I brought back from St. Lucia that I remember the most, is I didn't think I see, I didn't see a single fish over probably six inches long. You know, so everything that used to be beautiful, seahorses, all this macro life, but like everything else, if, if you take away that, uh, the actual coral and damage the reef, then, then you take away all life. And of course, understand, you know, it's, uh, it's an economically, uh, uh, more towards third worldish country. Um, and you know, they, people have to survive. And so I went down there thinking, oh man, I'm going to see this pristine reef. No one's dove it for, you know, or dived it for five months. It's going to look amazing. Uh, so it's quite, quite disappointing. Uh, That's sad. 
exciting yeah, here. It is. For sure. But to answer your original question, would I rather be above or below water? I, I, you know, I'll, I'll take either, man, just as long as I'm out uh, in the wild. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just as happy uh, taking photos uh, down at the National Zoo with uh, <laughs> with that program down there as I am uh, being underwater. So Your website says you've done over 3,000 dives, so you'd clearly like to be underwater. Yeah. That's, that's phenomenal. I, yeah, I got to update that. It's, I think I'm at right around 4,700. People say it's oh, track at this point. Um, right, but yeah, okay. I started diving, well, I dove in the military years ago, and if you've ever dove in the military, you you, you would probably hate it. And so when I, uh, I didn't dive again until 2008, and uh, I was sitting in Cancun and decided to do a DSD. And, and that next year, 2009, I got into it. So in 11 years, you have 4,700 dives. It's a lot, and I enjoy it. And uh, there's all these bucket list places to go. And as the climate changes and we start to lose some of these great uh, places like the Great Barrier Reef, things like that start to deteriorate. We're also gaining reef in other places, other areas that uh, tended to be too cold uh, for, for lush reef systems. Uh, as they warm, you know, it, it's getting more and more stuff to dive. So as we're losing, uh, unfortunately, losing some stuff, we're, we're, we're gaining some as well. I don't know if we're gaining it at the speed we're losing it, but it's, it's pretty cool. I know uh, my daughter lives in Australia and she's just got into diving and almost every weekend they're out now along the coast and just loving every minute of it. And it, it's such a unique and wonderful experience, right? So, so many people that I know that have, once they've started it, get hooked on it and love being underwater with that. I mean, yeah, I agree. It's, it's one of those things that people either love it or, or they don't do it again. You know, you have uh, to be comfortable, exactly. calm, collected, yep. right? Yeah, absolutely. I had two daughters and my 22 year old learned to dive when she was 10 and she doesn't do it any longer. Just, uh, she did it, didn't appeal to her. She, you know, she's been around the world over, uh, uh, in Palau, the Indo-Pacific to dive. Now my youngest, she couldn't wait to get in the water. And so she started diving last year, uh, and, and came in with me. And so, uh, she'll kind of be my little sidekick. So <laughs> she's excited to start, start doing some real traveling with me, get her over. I'm going to take her over to Palau as well. Uh, places like that. I try to take my girls around uh, quite a bit, you know, so keep them outdoors. But Absolutely. And great, great bonding for the two of you, right? The experiences Absolutely. that you'll be able to talk about the rest of your lives. Absolutely. Whale sharks, you know, if you get lucky, you'll get to see <laughs> whale sharks. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Obvious on your Instagram. I mean, you've seen so much and I, not just the, the large cetaceans and sharks, but I love the close-up fish, the detail, the little crabs, the shrimp, the... Nemo, the the clownfish, the, the colorful life that you get into such detail in the in the reef systems. It's great to see that too. Well, thank you, man. I, I enjoyed, it. especially places like the Philippines. Uh, probably one of the most underrated dive destinations in the world. Uh, super inexpensive. The people are amazing, just like they are in, in in Indonesia and places like that. But in that entire coral triangle, I try to tell people here in the Caribbean uh, when I encounter them, you know, you have 650 species of coral and fish in the Caribbean. And you have over 6,900, some say up to 7,200 uh, in the Indo-Pacific. And the Verde Pass in the Philippines is where uh, they've gotten the most diverse life. Uh, the, uh, uh, what is it, from, is a school in California. Uh, think of the name in a minute. They always come out there and do these collections uh, with nudies and different things like that. And it's this amazing macro life. And it is, it's beautiful, man, when you stop and take your time. It seems when divers are new, they like the big things, right? You want to see a turtle, you want to see a manta ray. Of course, whale sharks are always a treat, man. Anytime I see one of those, I still get excited like a kid uh, at Christmas. But uh, you start seeing this little stuff, right? And, and I guess the equivalent would be people say, well, it'd be like taking pictures of ants or cockroaches or something like that on land that people generally just don't, you know, find it interesting. And so there's these groups that like 
macro photography underwater and uh people are really into it and we go around and do these critter finds and stuff but there's some really amazing stuff out there man and it, and it is it's quite colorful you know the ocean is one of those things where you never know what you're going to get right I, I pretty much know when you go to alaska it's september there's going to be bears feeding right it's july there's going to be bears in the falls so all these things can be calculated you know if you're going to shoot tigers you're going to go to india in march you know if you're going to go shoot lions you know when to go to, to africa there's all these times the ocean is totally different right uh, unless I'm in some place like Truck Lagoon where I'm focusing on wrecks and things like that. But if I'm going to shoot macro, I could roll in today and, and find everything or find nothing. You know, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Now, you, you can raise your chances by, uh, you know, studying things, finding out what, what coral species they live on or where you'll be most likely to find them. But like when you're shooting a pygmy seahorse and it's, it's, it's at its longest length, two centimeters, and it's the exact same color as the fan, you have to put a UV light on and wave your hand because the motion from you waving the water makes the seahorse go like this, right? And, uh, and then trying to get that in focus and a current and, and all these things. So it's very challenging. Then we have light to deal with. You know, when I'm shooting bears or whales, here's the sun. I know I gotta be between the sun and the, and the object, <laughs> right? Underwater, right. you don't always get that. And you have to uh, you have to play with those light settings and, and constantly because as the sun goes behind clouds above water, it gets darker. There's all these different variables when it comes to dealing with light underwater that that makes it quite challenging, quite exciting. So how deep are you doing that sort of stuff? Are you getting a lot of ambient light or are you using all artificial light? Well, if you look on my web, uh, my my Instagram or website and you see these uh, mandarin fish, that dive is six to ten feet, right? They're they're uh, sometimes I could stand and and put my head out of the water and take a breath. Other times, pygmy seahorses generally like hundred feet right around there. They generally try to stay a little deeper, stay in these fans. Um, there's nine species of them. So some of the species are shallow. Some don't live in fans. We're finding more and more uh, all the time. But generally, anytime in diving, the best, everything you're going to see is going to be between 12 feet deep and 100 max. Usually between 60 and the surface is where you find most of your life, right? Because you have most of your light and the light transmission, the, the plants, the coral, the fans need that to grow. And so they don't grow in dark areas. Uh, so the farther you get down the wall, I see all these divers that are like, oh, I want to go deep. You know, let's go down 140 feet. It's like, all right, we'll go down there, but there's not going to be anything. You know, all the good stuff is usually at the top of the reef. And uh, so, but it, it's it's definitely, definitely pretty cool and pretty colorful. So at 60 feet, are you getting any ambient light at all or is it just dark? Yeah, no, you're getting ambient light, but what you've lost is color, right? So as we go down in depth, uh, starting at 12 feet, you lose your reds. You start to lose the color spectrum. So when you don't illuminate something, you can look at a photograph that someone took with no no lighting, and you're like, wow, that's pretty dull, right? It looks gray. It looks looks brown. When you light that, then you see that color. Uh, and so that's that's the reason when we dive, we we have to have strobes. Uh, you can use some constant lighting macro. It's good to use a, a company Big Blue. I use a, exclusively use their, their their fixed lights, which are incredible. I use uh, Inon for my strobes. And usually I have a combination of both those, especially a red light. Very important when you're diving and doing any photography underwater because an animal will leave with bright white light. With a red light, it doesn't see that light. And so the animal will keep doing what it's doing. So when I'm shooting those mandarin fish, it's dusk. And you sit there for about 45 minutes. When the action starts, they pick their mate. You watch them in the rubble. But when they come up, you have exactly 1.5 seconds to capture from the time they leave the reef so she releases the eggs, he releases the sperm, and boom, it's like high school. It's just it's over like that, right? And, uh, nope, no so comment. You have to really be on <laughs> to know your settings. And when I give these workshops and pick people out, I'm like, you know, you have to have, for these strobes that take a, a second and a half to recycle, you have to have your settings set up 
to where your shutter speed's right, you're gonna capture the moment, you're gonna be able to get bursts of light, three to four exposures without that having to recycle. Just things like that. And, and it's frustrating because it takes so long to do it. And, and if you miss it or it's off or someone's too close to you and has a white light, because again, it goes back to why I like to die by myself or, or uh, when, I'm, when I'm teaching students, I, I obviously don't take my camera. I, when I give my workshops, I'm actually working with them. But it's nothing's more frustrating than you've been there for an hour, right? 13 feet, it's chilly, it's the end of the day, you've been in the water four or five hours during the day and it's it's at night dive. And of course at night it's always colder, right? Because it just, just is. And you're all ready to set up and someone shines a flashlight or someone fires their strobes and, and, and they go in your dome port. And so it's important to be kind of spaced out, but it's, it's frustrating as well. I, I went for years before I got that shot. And then one night I went and, and, and it was like, I, I don't know, man. It was some Barry White playing in the background, some bow chicka bow bow. And there was just man or fish mating all over the place. And I captured that shot like 10 times in that in that one evening. So, but that's how the ocean is. You know, you'll get in some days, the, the conditions are perfect, the moon's right, nothing happens. And it's just just not there. You know, and other days I'll get in expecting to see nothing. I was in this uh, Thailand, in the Similan Islands, place called uh, Elephant Head Rock. The tsunami had been just a, a few years prior and it was pretty beat up to diving, right? I remember seeing this one turtle kind of looking at me like, help, you know, either feed me or kill me, but moving <laughs> out of my misery and it was really bad diving. And I got in, I had a macro lens uh, set up and I was just going to shoot, I was actually shooting some nudies and people were screaming and, and up above me is this whale shark uh, with, with its calf and boom, the entire dive with it. And then I, I went up to the boat, I, you know, dropped my, took my macro up and, and grabbed my wide angle and came down and spent an entire dive with that. We had lunch, got back in and they were, they were still both there. So uh, that, that's what makes the ocean unique. You know, you never, ever know when you get in what you're going to see. So it's the thrill of wildlife photography, and especially in the ocean, as you say. So, am I right in guessing nudibranch? No, is that what? Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Okay, I so when you say nudies, just for our, our audience listening, <laughs> that you're photographing underwater. <laughs> sorry. Oh, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Nudibranch. This That's is good. wild and exposed podcast. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not nude. <laughs> what is a nudibranch? It's a form of slug, uh, and it has its gills and its lungs both exposed on the outside uh, of the body. They're beautiful creatures. They come in a variety of um, colors. Uh, anything bright in the ocean generally is poisonous. If it's on the reef and it's bright, it's bright for a reason, uh, and it, it's to warn predators. So, uh, But nudies are they're amazing. They're one of those critters that you look for all the time. There's Deloche does a book every year with nudies and it constantly updated. I don't know, uh, California Academy of Science, that's who I was trying to remember earlier. They have hundreds of nudies you have to be identified because you have to find a mating pair uh, to identify a new species. And so some of them look like they're nothing. You'd go right by them, right? They're incredible. And they're very, very easy to shoot. You can play with light because they move at I don't know, maybe one meter an hour if they're lucky. But they're very beautiful, very cool to watch. Uh, very fun to photograph. Almost, almost some of the colors are almost psychedelic, right? I mean, it's just so yeah. vibrant. How how big are they? I mean, I think I, I saw one in, by the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, but it was only uh, an inch, inch and a half long. Would, could they be that small, some of them? They can be down to a couple, uh, maybe a half a centimeter. Some of them are tiny, like if you're in the okay. Caribbean, especially, like on the Kitty Wake, if you ever dive that wreck, you look in the, the portholes there, you'll always find them around, but they're very tiny. And others will get up to a dollar bill size. Your Spanish dancers are, are quite huge. Some of the some of the different nudibranchs out there are just beautiful. And and then they have several species of slugs. Some people mistaken with nudibranchs, but 
There's things like uh, ribbon eels, things like that, also very uh, uh, beautiful. They're they're not all nudies. The thing that make a nudie bronc is their lungs are exposed on their backs. It looks like a very colorful plume of almost like a bouquet of flowers okay. that sits on the back and then and in the uh, gills that are exposed from the head. And they're, they're, they're absolutely beautiful animals. Do you, uh, you see them in open water sometimes or usually sheltered crevices? Usually they're on they're they're on what they eat. So if you want to find a certain like there's a, a nudie brand called an Allen Eye nudie. It's one of my favorites. Beautiful species, and uh, it it all it eats a certain type of um, coral. And so to look for that animal, I just look for that type type of coral, uh, right? But they camouflage so incredibly well. Sometimes you'll be looking and looking. It's it's usually when I'm not looking for them that I find them because I'm not focused on on trying to find them. I'm just like oh, there's a nudie. You know, it's usually when I have a wide angle lens, so it's usually how that works. Uh, that's the joy of point and shoots underwater is you got that option to uh, zoom in or, or pan out. But uh, as you know, with a fixed focal length lens, you get what you get. So Something about your Instagram. So everybody listening, if, if they're not familiar with your Instagram, they need to go there and check it out. It's just the diversity of this marine life, terrestrial life too, but really it, you highlight, I mean, I, I'm always enthralled with planet Earth from insects right? Uh, butterflies, what monarchs do, what shorebirds do, migrations, large mammals. Under the under the o- ocean surface, there's so much life, and, and you highlight that so well with your portfolio, and it's just great and refreshing to see that that broad interest covered. Okay. So, yeah, people, please go go check it out. I don't know if you mind us spinning into, and I don't know, what, I don't want to curtail any other questions from you guys, but with Instagram, do you Mind if we ask some questions about Instagram? Absolutely. I'm familiar with your work on there for as long as I've been on, and I don't know if it's three or four years now that I've been living on that social media platform as far as promoting work and growing that. And hats off to you, warranted, wonderful following that you have of over 400,000 people. A question that I have is we're always thinking about Instagram, how to make it successful for people. Obviously, quality imagery is very important. Good captioning is important. Proper use of hashtags is important. Time, timing can be important as when, when people post. But a question mm-hmm. that came up for me, looking at your impressive feed, and based on your success, high five there, is that you tend, tend to post multiple images when you do a post. It could be six, it could be ten, telling the storyline where people can flip through. Have you found that to be more successful than just posting a sing- singular image? Well, what I find is is you have to keep up with Instagram's algorithms, and and so there's some homework that has to be done on that. Fortunately for me, um, my girlfriend uh, went to is uh, school just for that, and when I met her, she was working uh, as a publicist for Nat Geo. So she monthly sits down, uh, sits down and 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 takes the Instagram uh, classes, so to speak, on the net finds out what's going on, how how it's trending this month, what they're doing differently, right? Because they're constantly changing, uh, so. What I try to do is change it. And what, what I found right now is, is videos are very popular. But I try to get a combination of that. Like there are still times I'll post a singular image. But like today when I posted, I posted the video of me uh, taking pictures of the, the, the bear cubs. Uh, I'll get into that story maybe later on about these amazing bear cubs. So the video kind of draws people in. They love it, right? But okay, so the video of me shooting, now let me show you some images of what I was shooting and what I achieved uh, in those in that particular moment, if that makes sense. And then there's videos like the, the the whale the other day that breached. We're in Juneau, Alaska, and I got a great friend I grew up with in Pittsburgh. Never been out uh, anywhere, so I took him up to Alaska, right? I had four days in between my two Katmai trips. I flew down to Juneau and uh, met my girlfriend and, and John, 
and took him out. And this guy's like a good luck charm. I'm going to take him the last couple of time. He goes out, man. <laughs> Nice when you find those. Right. I mean, right in front of the boat. And I put that video on, right? To have your camera out and in slow motion when a whale begins its full breach, right directly off the bow of the boat. I should have just played <laughs> the lottery that day. <laughs> but uh, that's how that's how rare it is. But the, So you, I put that on Instagram and I just, I put that on singularly. And then afterwards, I'll show you some actual still photos uh, that I have. But in that case, there's no still photos to follow because we're taking a video. Um, and so I didn't capture any, any still photos. But I find a variety. I find that what I'll do is I'll just kind of play with it and see what engages people. Obviously, the conversation. One of the most important things I tell people is people follow me, right? And I'm always humbled by that, to have that many people that want to see my work. You get up every day. You see people message you. You know, you have 400 comments. It takes time to go through those, uh, even to the point where I have a, a large following in Russia. And I'll, I'll, I'll take those and put them into the translator and, and respond to them because I feel like it's important to you know respond if they have a question. Uh, you know, uh, I have some very good friends, met a lot of photographers along the way, and I meet one or two types of photographers. You meet humble, willing to help, uh, which I would include myself in that. And then you meet some that are like, hey, I have a million followers. Boom. I don't I don't need to talk to you. I don't need to respond to these things. For me, it's very important to respond. So kids will send me an email or a message saying, hey, what sort of camera do you use? Right. It's very easy just to click through that. I don't have time to waste. But to them, it's important, especially I have a lot of followers in smaller countries, uh, things like that. So I find engaging with them uh, keeps them on uh, on your page and keeps them engaged with you. And and with anything, you know, I just find it's uh, I'm always a, a person that loves talking photography. I love helping people out. So uh, people come, uh, you know, when I lecture and things like that, I'm always happy to stay to my girlfriend's dismay because we'll be there for hours. I enjoy talking to people. And I feel uh, like if people have taken the time to follow my work, or, or come and see me, then then those people are important and, and you have to take the time for them. And again, it's something I genuinely uh, love and enjoy. You know, so there is a lot of value in finding someone. And luckily, I, I, I happen to date her. But to, to find someone that knows uh, all of that, right, and, and who is familiar with, with what's going on, how the algorithms work, how the system works, how you are in their feed, uh, because it changed dramatically when they were bought by Facebook and they went to a revenue-based system you know when we had an organic system where hey man everything was organic it came down the feed and order that just doesn't happen anymore you know it, it's really about being out there on top of it and just keeping some variety do you find based on that uh, change of the algorithm that paying to sponsor occasionally is useful or is that it is and in my case luckily i have i have some great uh sponsors uh some great ambassadorships uh with different companies in, in diving and and, and uh, you know above water so it, it's good to get it out there and even if you use some of your own uh money from time to time to promote something i, I don't think it's bad i really don't don't know how much value is in it because i i, I don't, don't do it a lot i do do it because it, it it makes sense from from time to time and most of my work my professional work I would say 90% of it has originated uh, from Instagram because yeah. people instantly go on there, you know, and uh, uh, try to find it, trying to get that little blue mark, which I still haven't achieved. And, I, and I've gone to, to Facebook a thousand times. <laughs> no and, way. It's you're so deserving of it, man. It's like well, it was one of the questions that came to me this afternoon. I was like, how does Greg not have the blue check mark? Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> you know, I send I've done everything they've asked. You send it in, you know, it, it's a crap shirt. You shoot, yeah. you get it, you get it in a. You know, I, I finally uh, even even the copyright, you know, getting your actual copyright uh, set into them. So there are attorneys that do it. So I've considered having it done. But, you know, uh, I, I don't know how much it it, it it really helps. You know, I was talking to uh, some friends about it. 
Uh, I got a good friend that, that, that got it, and she had a couple thousand followers. So there's really no rhyme or reason. She just sent a copy of her driver's license, and she said she woke up one morning and it was there. It's one of those things, but people look for it. Uh, it it's an official brand. You know, on the downside, like this morning, I got an email. There's some guy uh, on LinkedIn, stole my profile, he's got all my pictures up, you know, so you're dealing with that constantly. And it's like the fifth time that someone's uh, not hacked my account, but taken it. And, and, and it's it, they live your life, man. They take your pictures. You know, it's why very rarely I'll put picture of uh, of of my my daughters usually it's just on an instagram story uh, when i do that because there's people out there that just just take it but if you're in this field uh, you have to be on social media you know your presence on facebook i really don't do a lot of facebook uh because instagram is kind of facebook's platform but i would love to see someone put out a an organic product again that stayed organic but it doesn't you know velo put it out it gets popular they go public they sell to somebody and that's really what what, what it's about so Right. But grossly important in photography, and it can't be understated how important it is to get out there. And, and whether you do it or not, or whether you pay someone to do it, get someone that, that really knows what they're doing. Not one of these people that spam you on Instagram and say, hey, I'll get you a million followers. Because if they're, if they're bot accounts or they're not real, then it doesn't matter, right? There'll be some days I lose 2,000 followers in a day. You know, so I know that it's just bot accounts that, that people have set up or they're trying, you know. And so there's all that. But... Yeah, that's part of it. That's the ebb and flow. But and it, it's so critical, especially in the global marketplace. There's potential out there, you know, and it's the best platform now to, sh to highlight one's portfolio so that whatever the client might be. Exactly. Will... Like this week, I had a guy uh, from Russia doing his bathroom in my photographs, right? And I mean, it was it was it was a nice a nice sale. I mean, he just hit me up strictly off Instagram. He's like, hey, I like this shot of the ship, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why I said it's important. You know, we have I translate. People hit me up in different languages all the time. Uh, my, my daughter happens to be fluent. Uh, I put my girls in immersion school, so my youngest reads, writes, and speaks Russian. But when she's not here to interpret for me, <laughs> I put it in there. I've, I've got a lot of clients over there that buy a lot of photographs and, uh, and, take, and take my courses. So it's, uh, it, it's cool. Got some clients going up to Alaska. Just got invited today over to uh, uh, Kamchatka to take some pictures of, of Russians' versions of uh, grizzly bears. So hold on a sec. You do a tour in Kamchatka? I got invited there next year. Uh, just today, uh, a company hit me up, wants me to come over and photograph over there. I don't know if you've ever been to Russia, but I love it because it's like, it's 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 wild, man. It's un it's untamed. Like uh, they do things different. I went over first time to Russia. Like I don't got time for this story, but I was flying. Keep going. A MiG twenty five. My father does some work in the airline business, and he was doing some aircraft were coming off a lease uh, from Aeroflot, so he was over doing some work. So I went over to fly this. Uh, MiG-25, right? Because I'm a big aviation enthusiast. And this huge Russian comes out. I mean, I'm 6'6", six, six, and this guy's dwarfing me, right? And he's got a flight suit. He's got a gun. I don't have anything. You know, I mean, I got a, a G-suit on, but other than that, I got <laughs> I got no knife. I got no fur coat. And he says to me, I said, uh, do you have any advice for me? He said, yeah. If I tell you to eject and you say, huh, you'll be talking to yourself. <laughs> so that's, that was it, man. We got it. We flying. And uh, they, they're kind of wild like that. So I'm looking forward to doing some some wildlife photography over there. I know they got some beautiful bears and, you know, proximity is so close to Alaska. I'm sure it's got to be um, got to be similar. And, and it's one of those places where I feel like there's a lot of unexplored things to find. You know, often when I'm flying, I'll go through Korea. And so I fly up over the pole and we'll come right down over over Siberia. And I'm always looking out the window down there. And there's this vast unexplored area over there. And so uh, I'm, I'm excited to get over and check it out. That's the one place that I've wanted to go for 10, 15 years. I just think Kamchatka, I mean, I've watched some films on it, and they talk about rivers that have never been fished. 
Exactly, exactly my point, right? It's it's got so much. I'm flying over these peaks, and and I also uh, am a big climber and, and enjoy that. But I'm flying over these peaks, and my, my dream, like two years ago, I went and did some work over in Everest, and it, it's cool, right? But it's not about the height. To me, it's about standing someplace no one stood. So as I fly and over these peaks, I'm always looking out the window, trying to kind of map out where we're at uh, on my iPad because to me it would be epic, even if it's. I don't know, 15, 16,000 feet, I don't care. I just want to stand someplace in the world today that no one's been before. You know, I watch this. I tell my girlfriend all the time I was born 100 years too late because you have these epic, <laughs> uh, you watch like, uh, the, the other day we were watching an Everest special, you know, uh, about um, Mallory and Irvine. And and to go to Everest uh, in, in, in 1924, right? This wasn't like, hey, I'm going to jump on a, on, on a plane. I'm going to lay out my first class seat, have a nice meal. And boom, I'm there. Now this was steam. This was trains. This was steamships. It was it was months of your life. And here you are at the base of this mountain, and some basically what's the equivalent of our wool underwear today, uh, standing there with a single rope and this other guy. And there's no there's nobody dragging you to the top. You haven't paid a hundred grand to have someone guide you up there, right? This is just raw exploration. And and when I fly over those parts of Russia, uh, I'm always uh, just just amazed that more is not going on there and they're not they're, they're not uh, maybe in, embracing that a little more and maybe that's good right because like you said there's rivers that haven't been fished and uh you know it, it's got to be amazing because if i look at alaska and i i've never you don't laugh i've never fished uh really when i was a kid i did but this year i was up at kulik lodge and some friends up there uh they're really great people and uh the, the staff took me out there like you got to fish i'm like oh well i'm gonna drive you guys crazy right because i, I probably suck at it so he gave me this fly rod 26 and a half inch rainbow trout, 15 minutes in a fishing, right? I call my brother who's got this 15 inch one mounted in his house. Like that's his <laughs> life achievement, right? Fish. And he's been fishing every day since we were kids. And I'm like, yo brother, check this out, man. I got this huge fish and in three hours, man. I caught 20 some rainbow trout. Just none of them are under 23 inches long. And it's incredible because they're just sitting behind these sockeye. You know, you just, you just uh, throw those beads, man. And they just, so yeah, over there, they got, they got to have some, they got to have some really, uh, really cool stuff to check out. Yeah, well, I would go there in a heartbeat just because I I think it's exactly what you just said. Yeah, it is. Well, I'll keep in touch, man, and and, and we'll go. I'll, I'll tell them I, I got this. I got there's two of us. I got to bring bring two. <laughs> That'd be great. So you do workshops, right? How, can you just explain that and then where people could find that kind of stuff? Yeah, my my new website's coming up. I just started uh, a, a branch out with a new company. It's called Alaska um, Photo Travel. And uh, it's going to encompass all, all my uh, all my tours together, my underwater and above in, in one convenient place, uh, because really I haven't advertised it uh, much. And I sell out all my trips diving generally a liveaboard or land based liveaboard. I, I could take usually 20 divers fit on a boat. Some of those people just go to dive with me and uh, some go to learn. And what I do when I give workshops personally, uh, I'll, I'll touch on the underwater ones first. I feel like I've, I've had people come diving with me. And they've been to two or three workshops and they have, you know, companies that sell underwater equipment give these workshops and they get these guys to buy everything and they go, well, you know, they're not paying. So that's the whole thing of it, right? They, they go for free and they go to dive. They don't go to teach anybody anything. It really annoys me because this kid had these ion strobes and he's like, Greg, man, how do you shoot at F28 and still and, and, and get this? photo like my, i can't expose anything at, at that i just don't have enough light i'm like you're crazy man you're, you're using these great strobes and, and he never even had the pre-flash turned off right uh and, and and so you're really not being taught anything so when i go 
what, one of my pet peeves is people have paid me to learn, right? They're not paying me to go and take my photos. They're paying me to teach them how to take theirs. And, and I will dive with my camera a few times to show them things that are relevant underneath, but I enjoy diving with them. So during the course of that week, I'll dive with you personally two to three times and show you because I have to show you how to use the camera, right? What, what you're doing wrong. So many people out there have these tools and, and, and they have, uh, they've got the best equipment. Uh, they, they show up and they just have no idea what it does. Right. And they're looking for the little green guy running, you know, and I'm like, then it's not one of those. You have to understand the tool, right? We have, how, how do you make it work? You can give me a, you can give someone a saw or a welding machine. Doesn't, doesn't mean they're going to make, you know, you can give me a great oven. Doesn't mean I'm going to cook you an amazing uh, chef style Michelin meal. But uh, so I, I tell them all the time, it's not necessarily what camera I use. Cause it's always the question you get. It's how do you use that tool? What, what does it do? Right. And, and it's basic across the board, whether you shoot Sony, Nikon, Olympus, Canon, it, it's, you, you have to know how to achieve that. Uh, and so there's some people that you will never grasp composition. Uh, a real good friend of mine up in Alaska, uh, he runs uh, Lodge and Bear Tours, uh, uh, Jerry Jocks in, uh, and he has, he'll tell you right off, he's been out with some of the world's best photographers, started with them, right? And there was a point in his career where he sat there and he said, I'm never going to make a living photographing. I'm standing right next to these guys. I'm in this, the same animal, same position, same lighting. They're selling, uh, you know, all these photos and, and, and no one wants mine other than my grandmother. Exactly. <laughs> It's right. You, you can't teach composition. You know, there, there are people who are masterful. Uh, David Dubelay, a good friend of mine, an underwater photographer uh, for National Geographic, Rolex name to watch after him. The, the man is incredible. And, and, and when I got the opportunity to meet him, uh, I learned a lot and I kind of set up my, my photo courses in the same way. And I, I was in a, a room with him in, in, in the Philippines and he has 12 underwater housings, right? Because if you're David, you get 11 people that follow you with every lens. And when you want a new camera, there's a guy behind you hand in there and they're in order of the, in, in order he thinks which ones he'll need first. But the knowledge of spending six or seven hours in there while he's sitting with these cameras, right? And having conversations with him and listening to him talk, uh, you're just absorbing all this stuff. And, and, and so when I go out, I really try to spend time um, uh, with people and, and share with them what I know, help them. Uh, there, there are limits. We, we're all different artistic interpretations of things and, and different things appeal to us. But I try to really push the, the fact that photography is, a, is for me. Photography is for you, right? It, it's something that we go out and we do, and it should please you. And I think if people step back and they worry a little less about, hey, am I going to get a million likes? Uh, we, we live in this this world where, where our, our total worth and self-esteem is based on that, right? And I'll put up a photograph I love, and, and it might get 5,000 likes, and I'll put up one and, you know, it's got that in 15 minutes and you're like, wow, man, that's not one I would have thought. And it's no different with editors. I'll send in a, a set of pictures for a story and the ones they pick, I'm like, wow, really, man, that's not even. Uh, but but that's really what it's about, man. I tell people all the time, take pictures, go out, spend some money, uh, take some courses uh, with some people, but go out and shoot. And, you know, you'll, you'll get better at it. And uh, and again, it's not about it's about how it makes you feel, you know, and capturing those, those, those moments in time. So, but back to the workshops. Yeah, that's it. So the diving I run pretty straightforward. We'll go to, I do some at Atlantis resorts in the Philippines uh, on my macro courses. I'll do one in at sunset house in grand Cayman. It's convenient to be in the Caribbean. Although the Caribbean sometimes is, is painful for me, especially when it comes to macro life, because it's so colorless. Uh, I mean, there's really cool things to find, but the amount of time to find them 
differs usually. Jawfish, for instance, uh, with the eggs in their mouth when they're broding them, not a lot of people, uh, and you guys know this, right? You're not going to go to Alaska with me and come home with an eagle snagging a salmon. You're not going to come home with a whale breaching right in front of us. You're not going to come home with all these images that I've spent years and months out in the wild trying to capture, right? I mean, you talked to Drew. You had mentioned him earlier. He spends every day in Alaska in the summer out with the bears. And I might capture an image that he doesn't get uh, the minute I walk out uh, into the woods. And so people have the misconception of thinking, hey, I'm going to go to Alaska for a week. And this is like they, they have this checklist with all these boxes, right? I got to get this, 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 and that. And especially in diving, there's all these critters. They come on, they're like, okay, you're going to find this. I'm like, well, I'll find it if it's if it's under there and I happen to see it. But, you know, there's 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 no real guarantee. That's that's kind of how I run them. The workshops up in Alaska, things like that. I do a water and wings tour out of Juneau. Uh, currently, a company called North River in Oregon is building me a uh, photography-specific boat uh, to use up there, low, close to the water. It's, it's going to be pretty awesome. And that tour focuses on the bears at Pack Creek, which which are significantly different. Uh, the ABC Islands in Alaska, the population of brown bears is incredible, but it's a different bear than you see in Katmai. Main difference is their menu in the ABC Islands is a lot of clams. They clam a lot, so they have a much more pronounced hump on their back because they use that muscle to dig and, and, and turn clams. And so you'll get the bears at Pack Creek. We'll spend some time at the glaciers with, uh, with some of the different seals. And uh, then, of course, the whales. People love shooting whales. That's what the tour encompasses uh, in, in, in those areas. And then, of course, my Katmai tours. And next year, I'm expanding up to Svalbard uh, with some friends of mine that own a company that operates uh, out of there up in the Arctic. Main thing is focusing on the clients. You know, I see two different kinds of, of trips, really. I see trips that, like I said earlier, are, are used to finance a photographer's uh, portfolio. And then there are trips and workshops that you can find that are really built around enhancing your portfolio and, and your skill set. So that's what I try to do. Sounds like a phenomenal experience for your guests. Yeah, it's, it's um, I enjoy it as much as they do, I think. You know, again, I, I feel privileged and, and always humbled that people would be willing to, uh, to pay that, to hang out with you and, and learn something. Because I'm very critical of my photography, which I think most artists are, you know, and that's that's across the board in any form of art I do. Can I ask, uh, I've got a couple of things. I, I'd love to hear the story. I was digging into your Instagram just because there's okay. so much variety there. Back in October 17th, 2018 post, uh -oh. Papua New Guinea, pirates boarded your small boat. There you are. <laughs> yeah. Towering with these two guys cool. with their automatic weapons, and they were there to rob you guys. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> so, i never forget, right, uh, Good friend, friend of mine, Bruno, owns this this boat, uh, this dive boat, and uh, I'll leave the name of his dive boat out of it. But uh, we're in, in in a place in Indonesia where Indonesia ends and Papua New Guinea begins, at below Triton Bay. We're doing some exploratory diving. Well, how the maritime rule works over there, if I'm diving in front of your property, <clears throat> I have to get your permission, right? So Bruno is on land negotiating with these landowners if we can dive here in these particular spots. And I'm just sitting there, and all of a sudden, there's... Is, there's these pirates, man, uh, in different different full uh, camo. Yeah, yeah right. different different types of camo. But uh, okay. I was in the army uh, for a bit, as I mentioned earlier, and uh, very much reminded me of my time in Somalia. How these 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 guys looked. They were a very ragtag bunch. And so I'm looking at them, and I got this friend Jeff with me, and uh, I said, and they're like, "Hey, you need your passports and your money, and get up to the salon." And I'm like, "No, I'm not. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going out like that, right?" Uh, I'm not going to be on TV getting my head cut off with a spoon while my mom, my mom watches at home. Uh, 
but uh so I, I just said no you know we went down i got my sat phone and the only weapon i had was a knife and, and and i took my camera and i went out back and they had left two guards in charge of their skiff right and so i started posing with them and having jeff take my picture i was like let's I, you know, i'm telling them hey man i work for a magazine you know the only words they know is national geographic so i'm throwing that at them and i'm like yeah you take your picture and i'm posing with them what, what i was really trying to do is get close I mean, this is all just dumb military stuff. The guy was right-handed. He had his weapons slung left-handed, and he had the safety against his chest. Uh, so I felt very confident that should something go down, my plan was to just disarm him and, and the other. And me and Jeff were taking their boat and rolling. <laughs> that, was, that was generally our plan. <laughs> we didn't know anyone else in the boat. Uh, they were they were all European. And uh, so as this is going on, Bruno shows back up, and, and Bruno paid him, uh, gave him a bunch of liquor. And uh, they, they they rolled out, and it turned out later that they were uh, they're there guarding these Chinese pearl farms, and they just harass ships as they come through, man, to get uh, whatever money people people will give them. It's it was it was I mean it was it's comical now looking back at at that time. I'm thinking even if we get in their speedboat, where where are we gonna go? You know, I don't know if you've ever spent any time in that that area of the world, but uh, it's pretty remote, man. One time I was in the Solomon Islands, and I got separated from the group, right? So I got this eper. And I'd floated in the current around this wall out of sight of, of the Zodiacs or, or the main dive boat. So it took a couple hours for them to catch up with me. For whatever reason, this, this thing, it, it gives a direct signal, but there's an island between us, so they're not getting my signal. So I'm sitting here, and I'm treading water as long as I can, so I figure, man, I'm going to go to shore. The best chance of finding me, I'll just go sit on the shore. So I'm sitting on the shore, and this happens to be this island, the Solomon Islands, where there is either they put or live there all deaf people, right? And in the Solomons, they will cover themselves in mud. It keeps the flies off them in the sun. So here I am sitting in my scuba tank with my this huge camera rig and my, my fins. And this guy's walking down the beach, right? And I, I'm like, hey. You know, and then he's got this machete. And I'm like, hey. And he keeps walking towards me because he's deaf. And he can't hear me, right? Now, I don't know this at the time. So I'm like, and then a couple more come out of the woods. And they're all covered in mud, man. So here I am scrambling <laughs> down this beach because I'm like, my only hope is to get in the water, right? Uh, you know, I swam out and I sat out there with these uh, bunch of bunch of reef sharks, and they just by this time there's ten people sitting on this beach just looking at me, and I'm seriously thinking I'm going to be dinner, right? Because in this area, in these areas of the world, I visited these caves where you know cannibalism uh, up until about 20 years ago uh, still existed, and so that's what my whole thought process is. So the boat came finally and picked me up and found me, and then they explained to me that they were just trying to be friendly. Because they're deaf. Well, I don't know they're deaf. They're just not responding to me, you know. So it, it was. Uh, I was probably more nervous there than I was in in, in with the pirates. But, it sounds uh, it, man. If they're covered in mud and carrying machetes, the first instinct is not to think friendly. Right. Exactly. Right. That's <laughs> what I'm thinking. He's got a machete and and he's covered in mud and it, it looks like, yeah, hard times. Right. <laughs> exactly. Not not the beach to be sunbathing on. Exactly. But that's the joy of traveling. That's what I was talking about earlier when we were talking about this adventure where you go out and things are just unexplored. You know, we have so little of that left on the planet, but it still exists in some of those places. It was, it was it ended up being a, a really cool experience. Uh, the Solomon Islands is one of my favorite places. It, it's literally, man, if you took an hourglass and just stopped it, that, that's what it looks like. It, it was just like it was when we left there in World War II, and it remains that way today. Uh, it's one of the places I give a workshop. I was supposed to be, in fact, last month in the Solomon Islands with a workshop, but unfortunately, due to COVID, you know, we're, we're, we didn't get to go down there, so it's rescheduled to 2022. Amazing place to dive. A absolutely unbelievable. The, the the reef, the the wrecks, the number of wrecks from World War II, it's, it's pretty cool. 
you got to do a book of all these encounters. I mean, it's awesome. I love hearing the stories. Oh, awesome, man. Yeah. One day, you know, it's, uh, I try to, my girlfriend tells me all the time I should be jotting, jotting more of them down. But, uh, you know, that's a story I wouldn't, had he not brought it up. Uh, it's, it's, it's one, and I would just happen to be flipping through pictures and I saw that one and I put it up and I, and I believe I put it someplace and before and I had taken it down, it, it angered some people, you know, it, it, that's, a, that's the one thing about social media. It's very, uh, you have to play your politically correct game. You know, I don't try to take any opinions, but it, it offended someone years ago. I, I believe it was on Facebook. So, so I removed the picture and, uh, tried it again on Instagram. <laughs> You know, my when I saw that, it's was, it was definitely a, a tense situation. But my interpretation was that you solved it with some degree of friendliness. Absolutely, and, and that's right? what, yeah, that's you know, what it looked like to me. It was, and you know, went up to him, man, and really, you know, I don't think they're there to harm us. Uh, I doubt the weapons were even loaded. To, to be honest with you, I know the magazine that was in his in his pocket uh, didn't have any rounds in it. Things that maybe an ordinary person wouldn't wouldn't look at, but uh, I just always try to assess the situation. And I, and I always find in, in all situations, man, if, if you communicate with people, my feeling is if they're there to harm you, that's going to be immediate. You know, if the guy comes on and he shot a couple of people or he's waving a gun, then, then, of course, you find yourself in a different situation. The camera is one of those things that's universal, right? There's, there's a couple of things in the world. Hotel California by the Eagles, Don't Stop Believing by Journey. And Love it. Those three it. things will always get you out of a tense situation because I don't know where, where I've been in the world. If you start singing Hotel California or Don't Stop Believing instantly you have a connection with anybody <laughs> <regardless of language. laughs> I, love it. I love it but, but the camera does you come up and you're friendly you know you take some pictures with them and, and they, they they became more relaxed you know obviously we were more relaxed you know i mean you travel a lot and and, and there's all these issues out there i talked to people for instance about manta rays and and the idea that they're so heavily hunted these days and and the one side to conservation people rarely ever want to have a, a conversation about you're an indonesian fisherman and you go out and you work, not a nine-hour day, five days a week. You work dusk till dawn, or, or dawn, dawn till dusk, sorry, uh, seven days a week to make 30 or $40 to feed your family. And some guy comes up to you and says, hey, man, I'll give you $350 if you take out a manna. Just boils down to simple economics, right? We don't have enough dive uh, jobs or conservation jobs to, to employ these people. And so they go out and do what they can because they're, they're in that same predicament everyone is. You know, you, you, you have to feed your family, you have to survive. They're not bad people out there intentionally doing bad things. The guy paying them is, is a bad guy and he's doing bad things. But most people out there, the same with shark feeding, any of those things, it, it seems to, to me to always be a situation where that's a position they're in uh, economically and, and otherwise. And so uh, it's unfortunate, but it, it is the way it is. Definitely, so. uh, yeah. It's, it's it's a sign of desperation, and and you know not only do they you know need education on that, but they, it's Absolutely. it's survival, right? Yeah, so there, I I understand what you're saying for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Troubling times with just so many people. I don't know. Um, as far as photography for 2020, what's your go? What's your go-to rig? Have you switched? Are you are you playing mirrorless at all? Are you, are you on that bandwagon, or is your underwater rig different than your land setup? I see that you're a Canon. I am. I, Canon USA hashtag. No, I am. You own I, Canon USA. We need to talk. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but I do uh, exclusively use the 1DX uh, Mark II or three, and and the. Uh, now 5D Mark IV. Uh, sometimes I'll still shoot the, the, the Mark III. They gave me a 5D, uh, 5D uh, 
what is it? R, I think, was the super crazy megapixel. Underwater myself, my anything uh, above 24 million pixel, too much. It's just, it's too much. You get too much resolution. There's too much scatter in the water. So when you start to get into these new Sonys and you're looking at 52, first off, I don't have room on my computer or, or, or on, on, on these, these. Every time I get a new camera, I got to go out and buy a whole new series of cards. And so, uh, but there's just no room for th that, that amount of information. And a portrait, awesome, right? I love it. This is a photographer. I actually gave her that camera uh, for, for a Christmas gift. And it's amazing. You want all that detail in the face. Underwater, we have all this scatter in the water, right? It's naturally there. It's everywhere. And so it, it picks up too much of that. Uh, same, even my new, uh, the 1DX Mark III's I was shooting in, in Alaska last last week. It's, uh, you start picking up too much of the flies in the background, right? There's so much resolution in, in some of the images that I personally like, like a little smaller. But I've not gone mirrorless just because the size difference. I'm a fairly big guy at, at 6'6", 250, uh, so I don't mind holding uh, even even long lenses or carrying that gear around. I don't find that the the, the weight or size difference is so significant. Uh, plus, you guys know I'm invested into I don't know how many hundreds of grand worth of lenses, and to have to change all that glass. And if I get a mirrorless camera like the new Cigar, uh, okay, cool, I've shaved off a half pound of camera. Now i got to get an adapter. To use my and it, my 600 is still 600 you know it still weighs the same and it's still got to haul it around and so and, until it gets to a point where it really significantly reduces that uh i don't even think i would consider changing now from what i hear i don't know that that mirror cameras wouldn't be around i know they were experiment with a 5dx uh which was supposed to replace the 5d mark IV, and i don't know whatever happened to that i saw one of them in alaska last summer and haven't seen or heard about it since. And I think they're starting to put that money into the mirrorless technology. Now, there are times that I'll use live view, but you know, with this new 1DX Mark III, I'm getting 16 frames per second. Uh, with through the viewfinder, I don't find that I need 20. Shooting a series of eagles, for instance, one of the biggest things I don't think people understand when it comes to storage and stuff like that, I'm a month in Alaska and I got two terabyte hard drive full of images, right? You got thousands and thousands of images. Because as this eagle's going and he's turning, I see him beginning his dive. From that point, I'm focused on him and it's just constant. Because, you know, you'll go through 100 images and there's this one, right? It's like tomorrow I'm going to post this bear image on Instagram just to check it out. They're fighting. And it's this one point where his head is turned in the white of his eye. And there's no way that you're going to capture that except for luck to sit there and go, okay, there it is. Boom. I'm going to take that picture. This is a constant uh, evolving thing. And so to have the ability to shoot that is one thing, but to sit there and go back through all those photos, uh, that's what I spend my my flight times doing uh, is, is editing photographs. And I tell people all the time, the real work starts when I get back here, you know, when you're actually back in, in, in the office going through these photos. Uh, but it's amazing to me. I'll put them up on my iMac Pro here and I'll go through them and then you're like, wow, like I can't even believe I captured that, that <laughs> moment. The bear is coming out of the water, just that moment when the water is still shedding off his head and the salmon's face is out of the water trying to get that. I, I always am envious of, of these and uh, remembering when I used to shoot film and imagining 36 shots, right? I just took that in a second and a half. <laughs> that would have been like, you gotta change, change the film out, you know what I mean? So, uh, and who would have wanted to come home and develop for, for 40,000 photographs after all the I still, I still have a ring around my right eye from the loop. Yeah, exactly. Holding it all those years. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, but you know, will I go mirrorless? I don't know. I got a lot of friends that shoot them. You know, that like them. It, it's that question you always get. You know, people say what's better, 
Canon or Nikon or Sony or, or this and that. And I, I don't, you know, obviously I'm a Canon guy and, and that's what I've shot since the, the moment I picked up a camera. And it, that was probably just a fluke, right? I was in a store and bought a Canon. So, uh, and, and that's what I've, I've stayed with. And, and they've been good to me and, and I find their product reliable. You know, I got a lot of friends that shoot Nikon, uh, reliable Canon. Sony's doing some amazing things with, with their cameras. And so they're all out there. I'm glad to see kind of the megapixel war slowing down and then focusing on, on the actual processors and dynamic range, things that, things that really enhance us as photographers. Because like I said, I don't think I need uh, 97 million pixels. You know, I don't know what, what size the card that's going to be. You get two photos on a, on a, on a 200 gig card, you know. So uh, that's and, and it really does. It slows down those big files. It, it makes your editing time uh, a, a lot harder. I don't think it's really, really necessary. I think it picks up a lot of things we don't need. There's a good tip about the underwater. I hadn't heard that and thought about all the particulate in the water, that if it's too high resolution, then you deal with that as well. Exactly. What used to be just kind of blurred water now is is pixelated out. And, and to go in there and remove that is quite a task. Um, you know, and that's the one thing of water when you're shooting under it. Sand, all these things that can drift through. You know, on, on land, I have, especially bears, I mean, if it's a warmer day, I'm going to have some uh, bugs to deal with. It, as the months progress and it gets cooler, then, it, then you don't have that as much. When you're underwater, you have constant particulate coming by. Uh, and it can be crystal clear one minute. And then the next minute, you know, something happens, something shifts in a wreck or something, you know, some diver comes by, uh, per, you know, with his fins and, and it just silts it up. He might be six, eight feet off, off the ocean bottom, but when he kicks, and that force does come down. It stirs that sand up, and uh, you have to wait quite a long time for that to, that that to settle down. It's one of the biggest things I teach in, in my diving workshops is your buoyancy. And what I find mostly with divers is the relatively cheap and, and mass availability of underwater imaging equipment, GoPros, things like that. People focus on I want a camera underwater, not on I want to be a good diver. Right. And I, and I have an article I do uh, for Dive Magazine. Uh, it, it's called The Ethical Shot, and it deals with ethics in photography, especially underwater, because what we get is you have a guy with a couple of little muck sticks, these metal tools we use, and he's holding a pygmy seahorse for another guy to take a picture of. Uh, there's a reason a pygmy seahorse turns when you take its picture. It doesn't have eyelids. And so a flash obviously affects it. Right. So it's going to turn away from you. So the most effective tool with that would mean you would be on opposite sides of this animal. You turn your strobes down, face them outward. Right, and you set up your camera so it, it, it's not bright, and then when he turns the other way, you can get an image of him, and then he naturally turns my way, and then we leave. You know, we take limited photos. I see people under there, bang, 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 with these huge strobes for you know half hour trying to get this picture, and then they want to touch stuff, they want to move it, because the idea is, wow, I traveled all this way to Indonesia. If I don't get this picture of a pygmy seahorse for my Facebook page, then people aren't going to believe I was actually there or I actually saw it. You know, and so I always try to talk to people touching animals. You know, I see it all the time. So many people have asked me this week, hey, man, did you pet that bear? And I'm always like, Seriously, no. no. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not. I don't pet the animal. Uh, because I don't want my smell on it. You know, if uh, the animal chooses to come up to me, which this particular cub does, she rub, rubs on me all the time, sits next to me. Uh, I've spent two seasons now with this these three cubs up there in Katmine. It's amazing, man. But I don't touch the animal. I said you know, a proper distance away. I've been shooting this bear with a 24 millimeter lens is how close she gets to me. She's got two siblings. And sometime last year, her mom just would come up on this, this gravel bar at the edge of the river in the lake. She would leave a couple of them. Generally, boars won't approach uh, humans. And so she wants to fish because she's got these three cubs that are constantly taking her salmon. So she just left them on the beach with me and she would get further and further away to the point where sometimes she was three or 400 yards. A lot of the guides, the fishing guides are like, wow, I can't believe this. 
But out of the three cubs, there was one who figured out that her siblings would get 50 feet from me. And if she t- she was the smallest, so she took the salmon and sat next to me, they wouldn't come over and get it right. So, I mean, <laughs> you reach out. It's almost surreal. You know, I spent these two summers, and this year they're back, you know, and they're a little bigger, a little fatter. And she comes up and, and, and just sits with me. And uh, to me, it's like, yeah, I want to pet her. You know, I want to take her home. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it's just it's not logical, right? It's, it's nature. So you, you have to, again, I always tell people, I let the animal dictate the encounter, but I never in, encroach on it. Uh, even with those bears, I always am, am certain that uh, they have a, an escape route that mom can get to them. I'm never between them. And I'm always aware of where other bears are because you have to think that blocks those potential escape routes. Right. So I'm constantly looking around going, Hey, you know, I don't want her to be threatened. And if she is threatened, she needs to have an avenue of escape. And, and, and it's my responsibility to make sure that exists. Greg, I think there's something else that could be going on here. You, What's you're 6'6", you're six, six, yeah. yeah. 250, <laughs> so you're pretty well almost the size of a mature boar. Has she left salmon at your feet or a box of chocolates with the with the cubs or anything like that? You you might want to watch for this, right. these, little, these little hints. That's a good point. Well, what an experience. No kidding. That's uh, in reference. So anybody listening, if you go to Greg's Instagram, there's that's the video that you were talking about, right? So it's a video of you that starts out, but then you scroll through and then you see pictures of this cub, right? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's him. He's pretty cool, man. Uh, this, the Discovery Channel just had him on. They did a uh, Halloween uh, thing, Care Bear to Scare Bear when she's eating her salmon. And again, that's what I was talking about earlier when you get these multiple exposures, right? As she's such a gentle thing, but sometimes she looks fierce as she's chewing through this this salmon. They're, they're just cool, and there's two sets of them. The, the, the other mother, uh, the, the other sow, this is her third set of cubs I've seen her with, and she has three. And she's old, right? And she's just kind of like at the I'm, I'm over it stage. And her cubs, uh, they're quite rowdy, uh, these three little ones she has. And uh, that's the ones I set up. Aquatica made me this housing this year so I can be 150 feet away and have a remote to see what the camera's doing and expose the pictures. So I sat this housing up. Our idea was to put it underwater, and we did a lot of work with that, right? But I found putting it on land, just sitting it there, bears are naturally curious. And so now uh, Blake, who owns Aquatica, I tell him I can put a bear-proof commercial out because this bear is grabbing the housing. She's dragging it along. You know, the cubs are naturally want to want to play with stuff. But I got some really great images because this natural curiosity, and they hear the shutter exposing, and they're looking in the dome port. I got a tongue going across it, licking the dome port. Uh, had had a, had a lot of fun, but these three particular spring cubs, man, they they were wild, and and they got to the point where they were so comfortable with me. I was in the, the river one day, and they came out, and and the water was too deep, so they started drifting. So I recognized this. You know, you never want to really walk backwards or retreat from a bear. So I kind of sat there, and and as the cubs were coming down, I had to kind of move because they drifted right by me. But all three of them were kind of just looking at me like. You know, hey, we're drifting by. Like, is this going to be? Is this going to be all right? And uh, <laughs> again, it was a really cool uh, scenario. But that particular mom, I, I've never had a a sow get that close to me, and she would come up, and I'd be laying on my stomach taking photos, and she would come up and lay, I don't know, maybe maybe ten or twelve feet away from me, and kind of just look at me. But she never did any body language that that I threatened her. She she was she was almost just like man, you know, just just over it. And heading into winter with three cubs like that. Uh, you know, I worry because they're, they weren't very fat. Uh, she was very skinny, and uh, it's a long winter to survive. So whether she'll be there next year or not, uh, yet to be seen. There was a mom there last year with four cubs, uh, which is really hard. You know, she's got to consume about 150 pounds of salmon a day. You got four cubs trying to take those from her, and then they're trying to breastfeed. 
and uh, she did not return this year. So uh, I would probably believe that her Cubs probably died uh, over the winter at some point, you know, it is nature. They don't, they don't all make it, but, uh, but super cool nonetheless. And, and I try to also explain to people that Katmai is unique in the world. Please don't go to Yellowstone and, and think you're going to uh, have these animals be that calm and, and that close to you. You know, they, they are very aware of humans in, in that region. Uh, they've been protected for years. And so they're, they're simply there to eat like most animals. You know, if you're not doing something stupid and, and you're staying out of their way, they're there for the salmon. We're definitely not on their menu. People always bring up Timothy Treadwell and, and, and the unfortunate tragedy that happened to him. Uh, it's, it's a very different situation. You know, if you get into late uh, October, early November, uh, food gets scarce, you know, and here's a here's a bear looking at a deer that can run 40 miles an hour and me that can run four. You know, uh, you're, you're much, much easier opportunity. Uh, it, it's it's very rare. Uh, you know, that people are, are harmed, even in, in down in the ABC islands. It's just really common sense. And uh, Katmai is unique. And if you haven't been there to shoot, I, w- I would definitely uh, recommend it. I know a guy that puts on some workshops, so i probably get you hooked up. <laughs> well, what I was going to say to that was, uh, I think it is really important that you go with a guide like yourself or Drew or somebody, you know, I will, I, I'm pretty comfortable around bears, but I always love when Drew's there or somebody that is familiar with those particular bears because they know the behavior. And it's just like you were saying, you've followed these same bears for so many years and you just know it's pretty safe this bear here is a safe bear this bear is not going to cause any problems yeah they might look at you when they float by but that's about it you know it's not there's nothing aggressive at all exactly yeah i want to shoot with drew i want to get up and go with him because he he's he's amazing uh from what i heard i have not gotten the opportunity to shoot with him yet but uh yeah you know you need people that know the lay of the land and uh like you said are familiar with with the bears I mean, there, there are just, you know, things I always tell people all the time, no matter where I go, if I'm going someplace for the first time, I do an extensive amount of research and go with someone that knows what they're doing uh, and, and knows the land. Because just you're used to time, right? Uh, to go out and just hope, bebop around and hope that you're going to be in the right place or where the animals are at. I've got a very good friend, uh, Jaylene, uh, runs an operation in Juneau, uh, Jaylene's Alaska. Uh, amazing young lady. If you ever want to do a, a story on whales, she's up there all the time. That's exclusively what she photographs. She grew up. Her father was owned a whale watching company, Harvard Mars. And so she grew up on the water. She grew up with these whales. She knows them by their fluke. Hey, this is Sasha. This is Sasha's calf. This is uh, Flame. Uh, this is Flame's calf. And it's Sasha Flame. And then they have Bunsen now. And, uh, and she's just super knowledgeable, right? And so to pay her the couple hundred bucks she wants to take you out, you know, night and day. You know, you just rent a boat or a captain that doesn't doesn't know anything about whale watching, where to place you. She's a photographer, so she knows. I need the sun behind me, right? I don't want a silhouette of a whale tail, or maybe I do. Uh, but generally, I want the sun on, on one side of me, right? I don't want to spend six of my eight hours looking for whales. You know, they're generally feeding in the same place. She knows where those migratory patterns are for the orcas. She knows where whales are feeding. She knows where the salmon fry is going to be. It's this time of year, right? They're going to be feeding on heron. They're going to be bubble net feeding. She knows all these things. So to pay a professional that that is reputable uh, and, and specializes in small boat photography tours is, is ideal uh, because you can go up there and you make the best use of that time. If you're coming off a cruise ship and you only got a few hours and you're never going to be back to Juneau again, uh, or if you're a hardcore wildlife photographer that does it professionally, if you have limited time and you want those best resources, those are the people you seek out because it just it just makes sense. You don't want to be on a whale boat with 150 people trying to get a shot from an elevated position of a whale's tail. You know, uh, you want to be low in the water. You want to have that. You want people to know you're in Alaska. So when you're composing that shot, hey, here's some mountains, here's some trees, here's some snow caps. It's something that looks Alaskan. You know, if you're just shooting down at a whale from a, a third-story boat, 
you know, our cruise ship, you're, you're not going to get that, that, that same kind of image. It's not going to tell that story. You want to be on a Northwoods boat. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The one, <laughs> the one that's going to be delivered next year, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. North river boat, North river. That's right. North river. Yep. <laughs> They're in Oregon. <laughs> Call them up. Yeah, there is. I mean, there are boats that are good for photography, you know, specific things, the windows that open in. So my photographers can be low to the water and have the rib su- supply a bag so they can set their long lens on there. Because you're not going to be on a, a monopod or a tripod on a boat. It's just not realistic. Uh, even with the best gimbal setup, you know, you're constantly pitching and rolling. Uh, you have to have control, control that lens. And uh, to be low level like that, yeah, you know, you're not dealing with the reflection light off the water. You get in the animal, you're being able to compose it in a way that, that that looks cool. And it's just nice. You know, and I had the manufacturer, so the windows open in. You know, it seats 22 people, but we only have uh, 10 photographers. And it's 43 feet uh, with three outboards. And you can shoot on the bow or the stern uh, of the vessel as well. It's it's going to be pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited about it. But Juneau is a nice place, man. You want to shoot whales. You want to get bears. You want to get a good variety. Uh, Southeast Alaska is nice. Uh, it's very different from, from the other parts uh, of Alaska. Cool nonetheless. And it's got some great scuba diving. And no one goes there to dive. Everybody's like, oh, it's cold. I'm like, ah, oh, it's not that cold, man. You can put a seven mil, dump some hot water down it, you're good for 45 minutes. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. <laughs> I can't not mention, I'm a product of the 80s. And okay. I know you got yep. your start as an, as an artist. I did. And... I cannot overlook the fact that you started out by doing airbrushing of jean jackets. <laughs> <laughs> I did. As a three, you know, and I don't know if other people do. Sometimes they don't follow my other page. I'm also a, a tattoo artist. That's what I uh, I, I do when I'm uh, not out doing photography. I uh, grew up around motorcycles and, uh, yes, uh, hair bands, all that. And so I spent my entire high school career painting Eddie uh, from every Iron Maiden album cover to Def Leppard to all, you know, the album artwork was it when we were, when we were in that age. Right. I mean, it was always Absolutely. like you waited for the album to come out. In fact, the other day I was tattooing this gentleman and, and over here behind me, I have a stack of original kiss albums from double platinum, both the alive albums, uh, the destroyer albums, the Japanese versions. He brought that for a tip, all pristine. The album's still in the sleeve, still have the posters. And I remember being a kid, right? And Kiss Alive 2 came out and taking that poster and unfolding it, putting it on my wall. And then my mom <laughs> going nuts because it was the devil. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it, uh, yeah, it was cool, man. I, I always did that. That's how, that's how I earned money in school, you know, painting, airbrushing jean jackets. You remember a man, the Levi jean jacket, oh. perfectly suited for a little bottle of Mad Dog 2020 in the inside pocket. <laughs> <laughs> See, he gets it. He remembers. Oh, I was, I was there. I had one, and I went to those concerts, man. So I totally yeah, get it. They're getting crazy funny. money for those these days, man. I see them on eBay and Etsy. These people painting jean jackets, getting uh, maybe I ought to get back into it. If photography so fails, you know, tattooing, then maybe that's where I'll go. <laughs> Just circle back around, you know. Right. <laughs> but it's funny because uh, when I work, I listen to. Uh, I was some big hair 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 band guy. I'm a drummer as well. I'm not very good, uh, so don't ask me to play. But uh, it's just something I love doing, right? And a couple of years ago, I went out and bought a drum set. My girlfriend's like, "Are you nuts?" I'm like, "No, man. I got YouTube. Like, I learned to play, right? And I have a good time doing it. I'm probably not, probably not going to see me on the on the Grammys anytime soon. But I'm always jamming to those old hair bands. Last year, um, Brian Hit is the drummer from Mario Speedwagon. He's a friend of mine, and so we were always going backstage to all the bands that they tour with. And my girlfriend's a big. She's significantly younger than me in fact she was born in the year i graduated but uh she likes those same bands so we hang out and and we're backstage with def leppard and those guys and uh 
some of the guys in the bands and, and, and it's awesome. It's, uh, yeah. it's just something I dig and it's, it's part of my childhood. And, and personally, I, I, they haven't made good music since those days ended. So <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. I actually just saw Def Leppard in concert about four or five years ago. And the That's fact awesome. that they're still that the fact that they're still touring and they actually sound really good is pretty impressive to me. But what's yeah. crazy, you're backstage, right? And it used to be yeah. uh, you know, a party. Now it's smart water and it's broccoli and uh, <laughs> it's all it's organic food, which is awesome. But I'm like my girlfriend's all excited, she's like, Oh, I can't believe we're going backstage, right? And I'm like, Calm down, it's not what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, guys man 60 60 something years old we went and saw bob Seger. he's 76 and he's out there he's still playing two and a half hour show man like you listen to one of his albums so hats yeah. off you know and uh they're yeah. finally making some real money doing it with what concert tickets cost these days great <laughs> yeah then the only other thing i had for you was um i just wanted to compliment you on your uh, instagram and i think you've got a good formula i really do i love you know, and it's it's a kind of convenience thing. It's hard to have somebody there to be able to get some videos of you doing your thing. But anytime you can, that's a pretty neat opportunity. And I think I even made a comment on a post recently. But it's really neat to be able to see you in action doing your thing and then to see the product that you got while you're doing it. The other the other thing I wanted to just ask you is, and I won't ask you on the air because I don't think it'll be good for everybody else to hear. But I will be asking you for your girlfriend's name and number and All not right. for the reasons you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm pretty forward about this right but no i'm just kidding but it, it's you know it's, it's it is good to have somebody that knows those algorithms and that and i'll tell you what that's that's got to be priceless i mean it holy is, cow and i actually uh stole her away and had her start her own company to do just that there's some some of my sponsors things uh companies i work with she's taken over their instagram accounts <laughs> Because it really is, man. It's it's a full time gig, right? And, and if you're not on top of every day being on there and finding out, hey, what's trending? How does this work? What's new? What are we missing out on? You know, and, and they constantly put out updates. I don't know where you find those updates. I don't have that kind of time to sit around. Uh, so I personally do my page. She gives me tips sometimes, and sometimes we'll kind of butt heads a little bit about stuff. But she's actually the one I took up. Uh, she came up to uh, Katmai for a week. She had never been with the Bears up there, and so she took a lot of that footage of me working, and it turned out to be quite nice and something I'm going to, I'm going to have a, have a constant presence on. Uh, maybe not her all the time. She doesn't get to travel like I do, but she learned very quickly. And I tell her this all the time. I'm like, Hey babe, when I go, when the sun comes up, I'm out. I, I don't come back until the sun goes down. You know, I got some shots of the bears, the sun's going down the bears. I, I said, you have to be there to get the moment. And, and it's, it, people call it well watching. I call it well waiting. It's the same with bears. We'll be at, you know, I tell her in the afternoon at Pack Creek, especially, july august sun comes up bears don't want to be out in that you know so from noon to four or five nothing's going on you know some of the sub-adult bears are coming out doing their thing uh but the big guys come out in in the prime time when they're not when, when they're not in that kind of heat last year alaska had some unprecedented heat but for her you know uh sometimes i think she she uh thinks that it's it's a little more glamorous uh than it is you know and <laughs> i think a lot of people feel that way i have a lot of clients that come out and sometimes we'll have to you know, they want to go back early or this and that. And I try to tell them that, hey, when we come out and shoot, you know, I'm out there for a full day, you know, especially when, in Katmai, places like that. I'm like, you have to be able to carry your gear. You know, we don't have porters, things like that. So if you have a couple long lenses and you want to bring them, call up F-Stop, another great company, makes the best backpacks. I'm telling you, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they make awesome equipment, man. I mean, I can put a three, a 600 and then my two to 400 on a body, put it on there, comfortably carry it around. 
you know, uh, rugged waterproof. It's uh, it's good because it's it's usually raining in Alaska. That's uh, pretty pretty synonymous synonymous with Alaska's rain, which is another good thing. Too. The overcast is great. This year was really sunny. It's harder. I, I prefer that even overcast. You know, it's like that nice flat diffuser. It's it's nice to have it. You know, I think you bring up a great point is that we're there for a good time, not a long time. And these people who go on workshops, you know, they have that week, they have that five days, whatever the workshop duration is. If they're just prepared ahead of time to be out there at all opportunities, you never know when the magic moment happens. So yeah. they, they have to stick it out, be patient and and weather it. And, and just and if it's quiet, man, what better place to sit and look at the scenery, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That was enough. Svalbard last year with a good friend of mine, uh, Roy that owns Wild Photo Travel, another great guy, uh, great photographer. And uh, it's the same thing, right? You're looking for polar bears. He can't make polar bears appear. You know, we're up there for three weeks and, you know, you're looking at ice all day with binoculars from the bridge trying to find it. And when it happens, it's three in the morning. Boom, man. He's knocking on your door. Hey, there's a bear. Maybe I think there's two or three of us, a couple guys. Uh, Went out and shot. The rest of people were like, oh, I'm staying in. We're out there for eight hours, man. Eight hours on these Zodiacs, right? In fact, the one the one uh, gentleman, perfect English couple. She is actually a lady-in-waiting for the Queen of England. That was her career. I didn't know this, but there's several of them. And she was bred from birth to do this, right? Went to proper schools. She sat up at dinner. She was amazing. She would bring us out tea and biscuits. And that day, she brought us out ginger biscuits and tea. We're following this, this male who was hunting a reindeer, right? And so this, this polar bear... Uh, as the climate changes, I don't know if we got time for this story, but I always get time. will tell you, ah, oh, man, there's polar bears starving to death. That's not true. Uh, you see these photos, you see them in trash dumps. Uh, polar bears live generally 24 to 25 years. That lifespan is dictated by their canine teeth. When they lose their canine teeth, they lose their ability to hunt. Same as a wolf. If it loses its canine teeth, it generally starves to death. So polar bears, we're seeing, they've only been protected in, in the Svalbard and Arctic regions for 25 years. Canada is still the only country that still uh, hunts them. Being that that's their lifespan, for the first time ever, we're seeing them starve to death, right? When you see them draped in skin, it's not an argument of climate change. It's simply that the animal is starving because it's lost its canine teeth. And previously, it's been hunted, and so it never made it to that age, right? And uh, there's... So, but one of the things they're eating now is reindeer because the reindeer are staying close to the water. They're staying closer to the water because they're getting less snow, more rain. It freezes. A reindeer can't walk on it, nor can it eat grass through ice. In fact, a lot of the reindeer are having their teeth broken out. Uh, they're slipping and falling off cliffs. And so it's one of the things that the polar bear has put on its menu. But to see him hunt that is amazing because he's patient, right? In this eight-hour period, he's chasing this reindeer. And he's not chasing it like running after it. He's just falling it. It gets in the water, it goes to an island. Water is the ideal place the polar bear wants it because it can swim at four knots. Reindeer can't swim like that. So he basically wore the animal down, gets it to the water so he can make his kill, which was amazing. But the moral of that story, and back to your question, is that happened at 3 a.m. That's when they found that bear. And so if you're on your, you know, if you're in bed, you, you get up and you go, you know, and you stay out in those conditions and it's freezing cold and the wind's blowing in your face. To me, I, I don't even notice all that, right? It's just part of it. It's it's the awesomeness of being out there in this vast uh, open space. And, and uh, here you are with this polar bear. You know, it's not at your zoo. It's not at, uh, there's places, of course, you can go in, in Canada and stuff and take tours and find them. But they're not out in their natural hunting environment on the ice doing what they do. And to find them like that is is amazing. But I was shocked that people would pay so much to go on these trips. And then when it happens, you're like, oh, I'm sleeping. Exactly. You know, yeah, you can sleep at <laughs> 
<laughs> live this life, man. Right, right. It is. But People. that's life out in the wild, like you said. And, and, and it's, uh, I agree. You know, take advantage if you're going on these tours. Take advantage of them. Uh, spend your time out there uh, shooting pictures. That's a cool mm-hmm. story. Thank you. Yeah, it was a, it was a good experience, man. Small bar. I, I want that. I, I'm up. I'm up at three a.m. for that. All right. I would think, man, anybody would be up. <laughs> yeah. Right. Ninety-nine percent of our listening audience would be up at three a.m. for that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's it's good. It's um, it's. it's good place to shoot if you ever get the chance to go to fall bar i would, I would recommend it. especially in the autumn because you get the light right in the middle of summer june july <clears throat> you're not getting any any nice nice yellow light you know when you get that time of the year see a couple of my pictures on instagram we got that low light that kind of circles around uh for several hours in the middle of the night and that's the time you want to be out there shooting right uh because having that that color in, in a place that doesn't get any color to me is kind of amazing and it's always it's it's kind of the shoulder seasons of when they work up there and to me that's some of the best signs, just like Antarctica, you know, the, the early season is, is when to go uh, mm-hmm. before the before they're all dirty and stuff like that. But, you know, before the, the crowds of huge cruise ships get there. We yeah. can make this a four hour podcast, my friend. I know. But... <laughs> <laughs> I love the stories. This, we're not live. <laughs> this is this is the next best thing to being in the field. It's just hearing other stories and adventures like this. And from the nudibranchs to the polar bears, I mean, to Alaska. So. I'm wondering, after you have the likely amazing adventure to Kamchatka, can we have you back on to hear about absolutely. that Russian adventure? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would love to come back on anytime, man. It's 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 been a joy. It's a privilege, and I'm honored that you guys even asked me to be on. Uh, so it's, it's been a, a blast. It's for me. Come back anytime. Tell us one more time. What is your website? You said that was under construction that you're going to put on, or that's going to be up here shortly with all your tours on it. It will be, well, you'll be able to go through it right through gregpiperart.com, but uh, okay. it will be Alaska Photo Travel. Uh, it's going to be the new new parent company and in, in, in website. It's gotten, it's grown a little bigger than, than I had originally anticipated or thought, which is good. So uh, we're going to do that. And it's going to also have some links uh, to some of my friends that give different tours, different places, uh, different times of year. Because like I said, I still, to this day, next year, I'm taking a tour with a with a guide and a photographer. Just simply what we talked about earlier. There, there are people out there doing things that I'm interested in, and I find the best way to do those is is to go with them yeah it's um so you can just go to gregpiperart.com or alaskaphototravel.com and uh follow both of us on instagram and yeah keep up with where we're going what we're doing what we'll do is we'll put all that stuff in the show notes so that nobody has to remember that just go to the page and i'll have all the links that you talked about even like you said it was Jaylene's Alaska. Yeah, Jaylene's Alaska. She's a great friend of mine. You look her up on Instagram as well. If you want to get a nice small boat tour out of Juneau, be sure to look her up. Uh, she's she's everything. She looks at Alaska like I do. I mean, I, I love it, right? And there are people that work there and they like it and they're seasonal. She lives there year round. She just embraces everything that, in, in my mind, I find to be Alaskan. She's uh, conservative minded. Uh, she cares about the whales. Uh, she give you an ethical expedition as well as awesome photographs. And she's knowledgeable about camera systems and how to take a picture of a whale. And you'll see her all the time with her captain window open, shooting shots out there. In fact, just the other day, I came out. I had limited time. I had friends there. I, you know, you hit her up on a text, and I said, hey, where's the whale action? And, you know, a lot, in a lot of industries, man, people would tell you, oh, it's, it's down. It's that way when it's this way, you know, because they want to. But they're not like that up there, you know. She's like, oh, they're over here uh, behind Shelter Island. They're over here in Eagle Reef, and, and they're they're feeding and they're lunt. And I came around, and boom, that's when we got that video of the 
of the breach. But yeah, she's a small operation, all female operation. And uh, her and her husband are both great people. They're, they're just true Alaskans. And, you know, I, I like to see them being successful. And, and her tours are, are are pretty good. So if you get up there and you want to do it, and, and there's if you want to fish, you got people that can take you fishing too. But uh, if you're a photographer and you're serious about taking some pictures of whales, look up Jaylene. It's just smaller boats. People who know photography understand you want to be close to the water. You want to be, you know, bounce around a little bit more in a smaller boat. But you go out there with these big mega whale watching boats, man, with a couple hundred people on them, and it's just no good. You're not going to get any good results, and you're not going to get any time with the animal. You know, it's kind of like uh, check the box. Hey, we saw some sea lions. We're moving over here. So, and besides the whales, man, there's incredible eagle action. And I'll actually be heading, heading back to Alaska in a couple of weeks after I get home from Belize because of uh, the last salmon run up in Haines and uh, the eagles that'll be up there, man. It's a great time of year to be shooting bald eagles up there. Your schedule is amazing. <laughs> it's 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 hard to complain about it man i tell people all the time it's a uh, it's it's like advice i give kids when i'm talking in schools and stuff it's uh you know we have this such huge emphasis on money and quantity and i try to really tell people make it about quality of life i've had the 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 privilege right uh, a blessed life of getting up every day and never having to go to work and that's through my tattooing and my photography it's just cool. I tell them all the time, man, follow what you love and then figure out a way to make, make a living at it. You know, I see people every day get up and go to the grind and they're like, oh, you're so lucky. I'm like, I'm blessed, but I set my life up the way I want to live. You know what I mean? I think more people should focus on who we are and how we want to live rather than having two BMWs in a, in a 10,000 square foot house. But that's me. Uh, I don't know. So uh, I would rather be out there year-round than, than be the guy coming out for seven days, busy on his iPhone, texting his work or whatever, man, and instead of enjoying where they're at. So <laughs> I, wish I'd have, I wish I'd have been able to listen to one of your workshops uh, or one of your speeches when I was a kid. Let me put it that way. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I try to inspire yeah. something cool. I mean, you know, I, I guess it's it, it's all about perspective and, and, and what you want, man, what, what, what makes you happy. For me, it's uh, being out there, even in, even in my other job, like I said, tattooing, you know, you, you get up every day, you do it. I feel blessed to be able to I go there, man. I put on playlists of hair band songs and, you know, I'm singing. I tell people that's the only thing that's free at my tattoo shop is my singing. You know? <laughs> out, man. You, know, you got to keep it in perspective, right? To be able to make a living doing what you love, uh, having people that are willing to pay you for your time and uh, keep that in check, that ego, be humble and, and, and thankful all the time, man, that we get the opportunity to do these things because it's an amazing world out there, man. And I tell people every day, make it epic. You know, um, my, my daughter, she turned 16. I gave her a, a blank notebook, this leather bound notebook and a pen. And I told her in her birthday card letter, I said, this is it. You know, you've grown up. I've done all I can to prepare you for life. She's actually getting ready to go to medical school. Uh, it's in her last year of undergrad. But I told her, I said, this is a blank. This is a, a, a blank notebook, right? Here's a pen. Use this pen to write the most important story ever told. And that's going to be yours. So, you know, man, I get choked up. I'm, I'm sentimental about the kids. But that's truly what I wish for, man, is that they'll go out there and live an amazing, epic life. You know, get off the couch, man. If you get an opportunity, seize it. So many people get chances put in front of them, and they let them slide, man. Take that trip. Uh, you know, spend that weekend someplace. Go do something epic. Yeah, there's a lot of lot of cool things to do and see. We got this, even, you know, right in your backyard, man. People don't, uh, you know, there's so much cool stuff out there in nature and outside. Camera's just one way to get out, one, one motivating factor to get you out there. Uh, enjoying it so and hopefully that leads to a bunch of other stuff that, that people will like i like to keep it epic that's a t-shirt that's a t-shirt that's a tattoo all right we'll, we'll, we'll do that we'll tattoo it on you that'll be the all next right. podcast <laughs> <laughs>
I think we ought to let I think we ought to let Greg take us out and give us his little saying there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right on. <laughs> Pick your tune. Things should be epic. I got a buddy down in Cayman, his, his dive company's called Epic Diving, uh, Pete. And, uh, you know, we, uh, I, I tell, that's, that's how I close every post, as you know, on Instagram. Make it mm -hmm. epic. Be kind, be adventurous, be bold, live a life that's epic. Because tomorrow, man, I'm telling you, uh, if this epidemic's told, taught us anything, nothing's guaranteed, man. Uh, you know, it wasn't long ago, I had a, a good friend, her husband went to pick up a pizza on a Saturday afternoon. Boom, hit by car, done. You don't know. All right, so get out there and, and enjoy it. Take it all in, man. Take take those chances. You know, it's uh, you don't want to sit around at the end with any regrets. At least I don't. You know, you want a lot of good stories. Me and my dad have a discussion all the time. He says every penny he makes. I told him, I said, it's cool, man. When you die, I'm taking my third and I'm gonna party with it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but maybe not time. Maybe you should go have a little fun. You know, uh, go out and, and spend some of it, have a good time. Finally taking them to Alaska next year to do some fishing and see some bears. So that'll be good. Right, but awesome. um, a lot of people do it, man. They work the grind their whole life and they don't ever get out there and no. take advantage of the opportunities. Well, they work the grind and then they they put away the best part of their life. You know, the, the most healthy, the most vivacious part of their life. And they're just, you know, they wait till the end and then they can't get around. They can't go do the stuff and they still have fun, but it's not the same. It's just not the same. I agree hundred percent. And, you know, I'm going to run for president and, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to change the whole social security system, right? You will get your check from 18 to 38, and then you can promise the government that you'll actually work till you're dead. Right. But not, not this way where they promise us and then they spend it and we get old and find out we ain't got nothing left. Right. You got to work in Walmart till you're 75. No, I want my time and my government check up front. Right? And I'll promise <laughs> I'll work later. I think it's a good theory, man. I think it'd be a sound, a sound, a, a sound platform to run on. I'm voting for you. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do you in on the write-in ballot right now, just in my vote this year. Vote <laughs> epic, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are awesome. We're definitely gonna have you on again. We all spend a lot of time in Alaska, so maybe we can meet up there one of these days too. Let's do that, man. Let's do that. Yeah, that'd we'll, be epic. We'll get your schedule off offline, and and then uh, Drew too. If you, I I didn't know that you've never been out with Drew, so never shot with Drew, and and I want to. Uh, I met him through. Uh, the advocacy for uh, uh, the pebble mine. Yep. And uh, we had this whole plan to, to have a calendar made up this year, but COVID put the kibosh on that, that my companies were going to print, we're going to distribute throughout uh, Alaska to sell at different lodges and stuff like that to raise money uh, for the fight. Like I said, I'm hopeful, you know, I, I tell him all the time, man, uh, he, he, the amount of work he does can't be understated. If, if, if the pebble mine fails, uh, he, he will be the person they should give the, give the award to because he is, uh, he's done more for that area. And he understands uh, what's at stake, you know, and yeah. uh, I, I get up there and I look and it's, it, I'm, I'm in disbelief that they would even consider uh, doing that kind of mining anywhere in that area. I mean, just the amount of jobs, the uh, economic impact, the, the idea that you would just destroy something like that, that is that important to the environment and uh, not just bear viewing and things like that, but it's just pristine. And, and, and can't we have one place we keep uh, like that? I was telling you a story about that manta ray in Rajampat. That the area of Rajampat used to be amazing, and one of the big reasons I've stopped writing for dive publications is because they promote these places and they just get destroyed. Right? It, it's like press, 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 press. And Rajampat went from in 2008 from having uh, a dozen liveaboard vessels 
to 285 little board vessels today, right? Everyone's diving there. You know, you get these new money economies, I call them, that come and, and they want to grab the coral, they think, because they have money and they got nice things that they can go in. And I try to tell them, man, if everybody busts off a piece of coral and there's thousands of you diving, man, it, it just doesn't sustain, you know? And so uh, that's the unfortunate um, part about a lot of the, the, the dive industry um, or, or diving. You find these great, pristine places and, it, and it's cool to not tell anybody. You know, you don't want to write about them. Uh, and some of my favorite diving is just the exploratory trips. I was supposed to do that this uh, October over in Indonesia where you just go and you plot a course and you're just like, hey, let's dive here. It's not a known dive site. And you get in sometimes it's there and then sometimes it's awesome. But I don't ever have a dive that I've ever went on where I came up and I was like, oh, that sucks because I just I just feel like it's all amazing. You know, there's a lot of emerging places out there that haven't been found. Problem is when you find them, you know, you, you get the press and then with the press sometimes Antarctica is a great example of of something that needs to be preserved, something they need to put the brakes on, in my opinion, uh, because you're starting to build. I know these big cruise lines, Carnival and stuff, have under construction ice breaking vessels. And the last thing you need is is a. a <laughs> A freaking Jimmy Buffett Margaritaville in your next port of call in Antarctica. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Here comes that a penguin or, or something like that. It's uh that's kind of what it turns into, man. And that's 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 the downside of of what we do, you know. And I have some culpability in that and some responsibility in it as well because you take these photos, you show people these amazing places, and sometimes that leads to those places not being so amazing. So it's great to see the work that Drew's doing. It's great what they do in Alaska. They keep these places pristine. They have limited amount of people that can go to places like McNeil River that can go to Pack Creek, that can go to Katmai. The lottery system's good. You know, you can get in there. But yeah, there's things we have to do along the way uh, to conserve these places. And hopefully, man, the Pebble Mine, I like it. It's getting press. I, I talk to people. They're like, ah, they know what it is, right? Even people down around here in the lower 48, they're familiar with it. The message is getting out there. And hats off to Drew, and because uh, uh, he's really done, mo he's done all the legwork. The rest of us contribute photos, we put on posts, we do our part. Uh, I wrote extensively about it for Discovery. A lot of it got abbreviated, you know, as, as happens in articles. There's limited with words and things like that. But Fat Bear Week's been huge up in Katmai. It's getting people involved, and hey, man, they're following these bears on the webcams and stuff. We just put in lidar uh, a couple weeks ago in Brooks Falls. So it actually gives you the accurate weight of the bear. Little did they know they could have saved $4 million and just got a new iPhone 12 because that has done. But you know, what else would you do with $3 million grant, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, they were up there installing them at the fall. So it'd be cool next year you'll be able to see that. Anything to get people involved in, in the environment, get people involved in these things going on, man, and trying to understand that, you know, these these are really rare types of places and they need to be protected. So again, hats off to Drew for doing that. Uh, yeah. He's, been spot. Hey, he's awesome. You're awesome. Okay. Thank you guys so much, man. I appreciate you reaching out. Thank you for your time. You've been listening to the wild and exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review and make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday Nothing's gonna get in our way We will be the biggest band in town mm -mm. Round and